right. Welcome, boys and girls. We are now one week away from the draft. Well, at least our draft special. One week away from the actual draft will be Thursday, but <laughs> we're, we're a week away from Christmas in uh, April. Uh, welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of Under the Dome. I'm your host, Alan Ulrich, with uh, my partner in crime here, Mr. Sean Williams. How you doing tonight, Sean? Doing good. I'm trying to get sick, I think, but uh, it's Tuesday night, so... You need a mask while you're sitting in the way. That's right. Um, Thank everybody for joining us tonight. Uh, what is it, Al? Uh, as I say, we were just talking about the draft uh, off air just before we came on, so um, we got a lot to talk about tonight and kind of gear up for our big show tomorrow night. The really big show. Next week. Next week, sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> it's been a rough two days at work. We were off Thursday and Friday, and I thought last week was bad because we tried to cram five days worth of work in three days. Oh, no. They were holding back on us. They hit us hard yesterday and today. So uh, you're lucky I know what today is. Man, I, I didn't didn't get my get my normal haircut. I didn't shave my beard. I, I look like a straggler right now. But we're gonna uh, the show must go on. Uh, we want to thank Fan First Productions for being our sponsors um, and invite everyone to subscribe to our YouTube and iTunes channels. Um, that is under, at Under the Dome. Uh, I think uh, we had set a goal for 100 subscribers by the draft. We're a week away, and we were 20 down. We have 80 subscribers as of this morning. And on our Facebook page, Under the Dome Podcast, we are less than 30 from reaching that magical 1K mark. We invite everyone, please, Go to our Facebook page, follow us. Uh, we would, I would love to pull that thing up and see one thousand. Uh, but you know, that's just me. Um, I want to take a minute also to talk about uh, this event that we we are we are co-sponsoring, uh, the Future Stars League, coming up Saturday here in the Monroe area. Uh, at Wasman High School is going to be the uh, the tryout phase, and this is not a North Louisiana, Central Louisiana, South Louisiana. This is an entire state of Louisiana thing that we're talking about. A an all-star team from the state of Louisiana will be selected from this tryout process, and they will be facing a Mississippi all-star team. Uh, and in terms of uh, the brief history of this event, Louisiana has never beaten Mississippi. And I, I kind of, uh, unacceptable, but, uh, <laughs> the, and, and I have announced the date of the game incorrectly on our program. I want to correct that right now. The correct date of the Louis or Mississippi at Louisiana all-stars game will be June 17th, not July 17th. There's going to be an entire, uh, basically a long weekend for these kids. They're going to get to completely go through the the college experience 
uh, in terms of athletics. They're going to get to do a media day. They're going to do walkthroughs. Um, they're going to practice, obviously. And then Saturday, they will be facing off against the Mississippi All-Stars. And they will be coached by our uh, our really good friend, Joe Horn. Uh, we invite everyone to please uh, not only support us sharing our posts about this thing, um, our retweeting, whatever you want to call it there, uh, but also anyone that's in uh, – that's able to please come out and support this uh, this endeavor at Wasman High School Stadium. That will be this Saturday morning at 8 a.m. and also on June 17th. And I will give you the uh, the starting time on that at a later date. Sorry about that. <laughs> and, <clears throat> I, I've got a house full of people still here from from Easter. So every conversation being held in my house, usually it's like hardly anybody here. And every conversation being held in my house is now traveling down the halls, the great expanse of this huge house that I'm in. You know, and it's carrying right into here. So you get to hear miscellaneous conversations going on. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, that you're right. That, that, that event is so important, and like you said earlier, you know, if you have any children, um, you know, what was it, 10 and 13? I, uh, I missed the exact currently, age. Currently 7th grade or 8th grade. Okay, so, um, that, there, yeah, okay. There will be a, a $45 tryout fee, and I, I, mm -hmm. as I understand it, that goes towards uh, covering the costs and, and what have you. Um we want to thank so essentially 11 to 13, 11 to 14 year old kids. Yeah. And uh, that, that I is. Want to personally, I want to personally thank Go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. Mama Jane for, uh, for sharing this, the, uh, the post that we've made so far and helping us to, uh, to really get behind this. Uh, and see that one thing that I want everyone to understand about this, this is not your usual kind of, um, Let's see, what's the word I'm looking for? This is not your usual, uh, well, the way that they put it, one and done type deal. These kids, they make this connection through this and a connection that will follow them for a long time to come. These guys don't just connect with them and then walk out of their lives. They stay in touch with them, stay involved in their athletic process from now on. They work with their their school coaches and then their high school coaches and the the uh, Future Stars League, which is something Joe is involved in, and the God Hands University, which is uh, Terrell Bean's uh, group. They, they help these kids to not only be involved uh, athletically, but also academically, and they help these kids to, uh, to get into school. So this is a really, really worthwhile cause that we're supporting. Well, and this was one last thing about this, and we can move on. Uh, you know, one of the things uh, my son has helped out with the Ed Reed camp, um, you know, the Manning Passing Academy is another one. Um, 
you know, all these football camps that football players put on for kids, um, a lot of times these athletes kind of attach their name to it and they show up for a couple of hours on the first day so all the kids can see them and stuff like that. Then they disappear and it's just a bunch of adults running a camp uh, in the name of this athlete. Um, that's not what's going to happen at this one. This one here, they're actually going to sit and work with you. Joe will sit and work with you. You will have people with, who have played the game or been involved with people who played the game who will be there and hands-on and work with your kids. And uh, that that's a huge, huge difference from these generic camps where, you know, 3,000 kids show up and, you know, you're handed it at the end of the – you. you run around and do some stuff at the end of the day they give you this gift bag and send you on your way that's not what's going to happen at this camp so that's that's a huge thing and that that's really uh what makes this camp so special this this event so special so please 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 um get involved come out come see it uh if you have a child that's interested uh bring them out there and do it uh mine are all older i've done i've been at camps before like this and uh you know, uh, it's it's a wonderful thing because it gets they they listen because they're hearing it from someone who's actually done this stuff. How do I become like you? You know, that's that's what's so important about it. Absolutely. Okay. Um, Are you got, excited for the for Christmas <laughs> in April? You know. You know a few. I've been watching the draft since 1988. I tell this to people every so often. I've been watching the draft since 1988, and back then you had a Street and Smith. You probably had a couple of magazines. And that's about it. That was out there. Um, you know, the draft wasn't this 24/7 thing that that happens nowadays. And you know, on the one hand. I'm looking forward to it because it's an exciting time because it's new blood being introduced to the team. On the other hand, I'm just waiting for it to end because, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm beat up. I'm tired. Uh, you have guys on the internet right now who are fighting to the death over whether or not a player they like is really worth drafting at 11 for the Saints versus another player. Uh, Riddick versus Barnett, uh, McCaffrey versus, um, oh, I don't know, um, <coughs> Adams from LSU. Oh, the LSU contingent with, like, you know, why don't we trade Mark Ingram and draft Leonard Fournette? You know, we need to start drafting home uh, the hometown players and that kind of stuff. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'll be excited when it happens, but I'm tired of talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm way too. I, I, I say that on this show. I, I I tell people, I told some folks this morning. Uh, you know, I'm. Uh, I, I guess you could say that I get mileage off of it, but usually by a week out from it, I'm ready to get on with it, ready to be done with it. Uh, I'm ready to uh, see who we draft, see who we get, see who our uh, UDFAs are, and get on to work, man. Let's let's get on well, with it. you know, 
one of my favorite things is there's about 15 players who aren't going to make it out of the top 10. Now, I know we're in the whole common core math era now, but last time I looked, there's only 10 players that can go in the top 10, not 15. <laughs> so someone's going to fall. And that's, I guess, that's probably the other more frustrating thing because, um, you know, there'll be players that I like. And and I'll say that, and, oh, there's no way they're going to be there at 11. There's no way. I mean, what do you mean there's no way? You know, you, I got a magic eight ball. That's about all I got. You know, and some people have, must have a better magic eight ball than I got, you know, because mine just says answer unclear, check back later. But theirs must tell them yes or no, or it is a possibility or is it or is a certainty. You know, some of these players aren't going to be there. So – that's going to be the fun part when it comes to, you know, now they've got programs you can run mock drafts. And it's amazing to me to see, like, for example, uh, Solomon Thomas, who I really, really like. If you run a lot of the mock drafts, Solomon Thomas starts falling towards 8, 9, 10. You know, and you could theoretically trade up and get him. Or just depending on what, which, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say fan board, but whatever um, draft board you use, Solomon Thomas is sometimes there at 11. Now, in the real world, they'll tell you Solomon Thomas is not going to make it throughout the, you know, past the top five. And that's what makes it interesting because um, nobody knows. You really don't know. Because for a long time, we all assumed Miles Garrett was going to go number one to Cleveland. And now it's – and this is also the time of the year that everybody starts blowing smoke in the air and stuff and trying to throw teams off and uh, see if they could get some value for their pick so they want to trade or whatever. You know, they're now starting to say – Cleveland's starting to say, mm, maybe we're not that concerned or that convinced that uh, – that, Garrett's going to be the number one overall pick. We might go another direction. You know, so that throws a lot of stuff out because, you know, let's say they go Fournette number one overall. Well, now Garrett's in play at number two with the 49ers. And now the 49ers pick is worth a lot more uh, to certain teams, including the Saints. Or let's say that Cleveland takes Solomon Thomas number one overall. Now, okay, well, who, since he's off the board, how many people are going to want to jump up and go grab Garrett after that? So there's, you just don't know. You don't know until it starts to play out. But we're going to try and do next week our own version of, um, let's see if we can guess what numbers are going to fall in the lottery um, with guys who, uh, who kind of study not only the draft, but study the teams and the divisions, and we'll assign them all, each division and say, okay, you represent the NFC South. What do you think the Falcons are going to do? What do you think the Saints are going to do? What do you think Tampa Bay and Carolina are going to do? So it's going to be fun. I I'm looking forward to that. That I have a good time uh, listening to other people justify their picks like this, and especially picks on other teams. This is going to be a really interesting format. Um, I struggled a long time. Something that would be both entertaining and uh, also at the same time be credible for people to follow uh, because that's something that, uh, 
you know, Alan and I have a good time doing this. Um, we enjoy what we do, and it means a lot to us. But at the same time, it it's hard for you guys exactly how much it means to us to to have credibility with our followers. Uh, we laugh and we have a good time and we quote movies and we talk Star Wars and Forrest Gump and stuff like that. But being right about what we're talking about is just as important to us as well. Because we know that you guys place a lot of it in us to right. And all that being said, um, the format is really interesting. Rather than uh, bringing in 32 different guests, what we're going to do, we're, we're bringing in eight different uh, division coordinators. Each one will be uh, handling the drafting of an entire division. For example, uh, an old friend of mine uh, that, that covers the Cleveland Browns named Jack Kopansky. He and I work together at PFS and uh, elsewhere as well. Uh, he will be handling the AFC North. And he'll be in the catbird seat when we go live. He'll have that number one pick with Cleveland. Uh, but he will also be making the picks for Baltimore and Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I can hardly wait for a, for a Browns fan to pick for the Steelers, who's the crappiest player on there. Oh, they just oh, reached my. and grabbed <laughs> this guy. Look at this, you know. Look what they did. Uh, yeah. But but in all uh, in all seriousness and honesty, uh, we brought in the the very most credible guys available that we could uh, we could bring in. These are the guys that follow these teams. Um, they're they're very well acquainted with these people, and you can depend, you can trust their uh, their choices that they will make in this endeavor. And um, not not to be completely outdone, our draft analyst that we will be uh, more than likely opening the show with will be none other than our uh, our old friend from Tampa Bay Buccaneers, David Harrison. He's going to provide us with an overview of the draft, maybe uh, enlighten us on what he expects in terms of maybe a few surprises, maybe uh, what he expects for the NFC South, and, and just uh, just have him elaborate a little bit on what he thinks the draft will, will how it will play out. And... Uh, Let's see. I, I'm trying to read my notes. Uh, having my glasses on is not helping. Um, <laughs> well, you know who who are the who are the who are the eight people, Sean? Let's let's okay, start with the, that. I mean, David David covers the Bucks, but he's also a draft guru. Uh, yeah. He watches a lot of college football, so he's an ideal uh, Mel Kiper of sorts. <laughs> yeah, David will be our draft analyst. Um, not beholden to anyone, I guess. Uh, but the AFC East will be manned by our, our old friend uh, from the last word on sports, uh, Butler. Uh, we've had him on as a guest before. The AFC North, as I said, will be Jack Kopansky, uh, who covers Cleveland. The AFC South will be 
uh, Jake Arthur, who covers the Indianapolis Colts and is the uh, associate director of content for Pro Football Spot. Uh, was a mentor to me when I worked there. Uh, I think a lot of Jake. Um, and let's see, the AFC West will be manned by none other than our own Bob Rose from uh, from CSC. Uh, and on the NFC side, on the the NFC West is it, kind of interesting because it's going to be manned by a uh, a guy who will be joining us at two o'clock in the morning his time, straight from country England will be uh, 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 crud. You guys bear with me. I, I, I'm referring to my notes again. I, I apologize. Uh, Apparently it's 2 o'clock in the morning for Sean, too. Yeah, it is. <laughs> hey, brother, it's been a long day. Um, well, every so often you kind of freeze or you slow down a little bit. Your, your sound is coming while your picture is like a second behind. So it's a lot like watching a Japanese film, you know. <laughs> Stuart Court. Oh, oh, Sorry, going to... Go ahead. <laughs> Stuart Court is mm -hmm. going to be our NFC West uh, correspondent. Okay. Uh, the NFC North will be uh, from, um, let's see, bear with me. Uh, the... Um, <laughs> These are oh. all good friends of Sean's too. So. Yeah, and so this makes it even more embarrassing. Uh, it's going to be Luke. Close personal friends. Yeah, Luke. Who is screaming at the YouTube connection right now. <laughs> Luke Inman is going to be uh, covering the NFC North. Uh, uh, the NFC East will be our own Tyler Raymond. And... That leaves us with the most probable, for us, probably the most pressure-filled position of them all, manned by our own draft guru himself, Matt Ulrich, will be covering the NFC South and making the uh, the call at number 11. Uh, and and I, before he corrects me uh, and sends me a nasty text, our... Uh, Tyler Raymond will be making the call at number 32, but Matt will be making the choice at 11. Okay. I wonder why Matt's not making the call at 32. I guess he's going to have to get off. Um, okay. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> um, I apologize. Uh, I'm anywhere here. Mm -hmm. Um, basically, though, it, it's going to be a really good, really good show because this is the first time we're trying this, so be a little patient with us. But the idea, like you said, was not to have thirty-two different um, or guests, I should say, come in and and explain their picks because that would be a two-hour show. It's be a nine-hour show. Uh, we just—it's just a lot easier to kind of. Um, pick for the pick for the teams. Do it really quickly. Uh, we're just going to do the first round only, and yeah. uh, kind of give just a, a brief rundown on why we pick what we pick, and just keep keep it going. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be the uh, commissioner of sorts, so 
I'm going to keep my eye on the time and making sure we're getting through this pretty quickly. If we're still only only on pick two or three, and we're already a half hour into the show, I'm going to have to tell y'all to speed it up a little bit. Um, but um, we're going to try and get this as best we can. Uh, like I said, be patient with us. Uh, it's going to be fun. We want to make this fun. It's not about being right. It's just all opinions uh, because – no one knows what's going to happen tomorrow, not even uh, Thursday, next Thursday. Um, not even the, the, uh, the scouts and the GMs who are actually picking for their NFL teams because everything changes. And there's a discussion in there about a player. And um, they look at what's going on in the draft just like we do. And they may decide to go into another direction because two players are rated about the same. Um, but they can say, hey, you know, if we don't take him now, he may not be there when we pick again. Um, there's kind yeah. of a run going on right now, especially in defensive backs. Um, here, that's the thing about the Saints at 32. If the Saints, you know, the news today, obviously Malcolm Butler signed his uh, tender, which – in my mind, means that uh, chances are Butler, the Saints, and the Patriots have already worked out a deal, a contract, uh, and an agreement on compensation to the to uh, New England for this player. Um, so we'll probably hear something in the next few days on what what is going to happen with Butler uh, for for the year for the 2017 season. Um, the Saints still keep their 32nd pick and don't send that to New England in exchange for Butler. Um, that 32nd pick, that decision of what the Saints are going to do there is going to depend a lot on what kind of run they start seeing on, on players. And I think cornerbacks, especially at the bottom half of the draft, you're going to see a big run on these players. Um so the Saints may end up taking an offensive player at 32 just because the best cornerbacks or best defensive linemen or whatever went um, at 11 uh, may not be there. I mean, may all be gone, so only offensive players good, uh, are ranked highly on the board. So, you know, it's I, hard to pick. I've always – I feel for years that you can prepare – at most, the first dozen picks of the draft. And mm-hmm. and after the first 10, 12 picks, it's simply going to be act and react based on the needs of your team. Anybody that's played fantasy football has that same feeling. You know, you're watching the, the draft in your fantasy football league, and you know the players. And let's say you're picking – I don't know, there's a 12-team league, you're picking nine. So, and, and typically fantasy football drafts are the snake kind. So, you know, it's one through 12, and then it goes 12 to one, one to 12, 12 to one, and that way, you know, it snakes around. So, you're picking at nine, you go and take one of the top players at nine, but you're also looking at what's been happening in the draft, and you go, well, wait a minute, uh, running backs have been going off the board. I better grab a running back now because when my pick comes back around, there may not be the top running backs left. 
So I may be stuck with taking a quarterback sooner than I really wanted to. So that's that's essentially what I'm saying and what you're saying with the draft. You really don't know until you see what players are going that, hey, you know what? If I really want this guy, I'm he may be ranked um, – I don't know, 37 or 38 in my board. I'm going to take him at 32 because he won't be there when I pick again at 42. Um, so, and that's, that's the issue. That's, that's when you have problems And Sean, you still there? You disappeared on me. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Your picture just vanished. Uh, give me a second. Uh, it... Okay. There we go. All right. You kind of disappeared on me. It so. does that from time to time. All right. Yeah. Well. Anyway, uh, that that uh, that blackout was brought to you by the that uh, Louisiana Superdome. I forgot. <laughs> I, I, I forgot to announce. Uh, not the least of which, in, in terms of Saints news, is that uh, day after tomorrow, they will be announcing the 2017 schedule. Hmm. Everybody will find out that we're opening our season at Megatron's butthole. You know, I kind of hope we do. <laughs> they do schedule Saints Falcons on Monday in football, reopening their new facility the third week of the season. And the Falcons build a 25-point lead that we come back on. Or we beat them by 25 points. I just want that magic number 25. <laughs> Yeah, and I really do believe if it's a, yeah, if it's a nice if it's a nice day and they got the, the the roof open, that as the game gets closer to the end, does the roof actually start contracting because they're kind of worried that they're going to lose? <laughs> Is there a little tightening there? <laughs> Is that sphincter opening getting a little bit closed? You know that that's what I want to see happen. Oh. Has anyone heard from... It's uh, a joke that will never end. Has anyone <laughs> heard from Arrive Violently this week? Oh, anyway. Uh, uh, no, we're not going to bring up that clown again. Yeah, I um, gave him too much of the show last week. Yes, you uh, did. <clears throat> okay, so, hey, break out the bubble wrap. Off-season conditioning started up for the Saints, um, the OTAs. Sure did. And... Um, so far, every injured player has shown up for these things. Um, so, you know, it's about time for the Saints player, Saints to start wrapping these guys, like P.J. Williams and Kinaka <laughs> and uh, all the rest of these guys in bubble wrap because we don't want them getting hurt, at least until uh, August. Yeah. We, uh, Kikaka showed up and it's totally cleared. P.J. showed up, totally cleared. It, the only one that I heard any reports on that weren't totally clear for all activity was Josh Hill. And yeah. I believe the way that it's worded, uh, if I if I remember correctly, it was worded that he is on schedule to participate uh, in the scheduled OTAs mm -hmm. uh, as cleared. But uh, the off-season program, the voluntary off-season program that you have to show up for, uh, that uh, he he is limited in his mm -hmm. participation. I, now, how limited, I, I'm not aware of yet. 
but also kind of uh, classroom work only um but that's really kind of what they do with these things you, you start installing parts of the offense and parts of the defense and they do a lot of mental reps you know and then of course there's the workouts and stuff like that and they're probably limiting him on weightlifting right now um yeah who man would knew he yeah so it's uh, you know that's that's what basically happened oh and we might as well talk about this willie sneed um is showing up at these the off-season conditioning program um even though he's not under contract, but he because he has not signed his tender, he doesn't intend to sign his tender. Now he's an exclusive rights free agent, which basically means he cannot. No one can talk to him. He can't like unlike uh, Malcolm Butler, he can't go out and look to see if somebody is interested in trading for him or anything like that because he's an exclusive rights player. Malcolm Butler is a restricted free agent whom the New England Patriots put a first-round tender on. It's one step above what Willie Sneed is. Willie Sneed is just basic. He only, he, the only thing he can do is deal with the Saints. And uh, they are trying to work out a long-term deal with him, so he never reaches free agency. Um so that's why he did what he did. Now he has to sign or take some kind of insurance policy because let's say, say it, one of these things, God forbid, one of these off-season um, conditioning programs, he tears oh, a pet muscle, you know, don't or he gets, somehow he gets injured at this thing. Um, you know, he has to have some sort of protection for himself because he's not technically under contract. So he's not under the Saints insurance umbrella. Um you know, this is this is his own risk. So he probably has a good size insurance policy in case something happens. Um, but well, trust me, me they're you. working on a contract for him. Let me ask your opinion on something, Alan. I, mm-hmm. I made this comment in one of the uh, one of the many chat rooms that I participate in, and I was uh, scolded sharply upon making it. Uh, would you, with the departure of Brandon Cooks? Mm-hmm. Would you say that this is uh, a huge opportunity, not only for Willie Sneed, but also for Thomas as well, or just Sneed? What do you mean by opportunity? I mean, the guy almost caught a thousand yards. He he was he was only what thirty forty yards away from a thousand yards too. It was inside um, of him. I know that. Yeah. So. I mean, he, he already has his opportunity. Um, here's the thing when it comes to the Saints offense. Um, there is no number one receiver. There's no number two receiver. There's no number three receiver. All three receivers, the X, the Y, and the Z positions on off play, all the positions, they move them all over the place because, you know, they're always looking for matchups. You know, Sean Payton's whole offense is predicated on matchups. How do I match up their player who is the worst at doing something versus player that's the best at doing that? So, like, for example, you have Brandon Cooks. How do I match up Brandon Cooks with their slowest cornerback? 
so I can make a big play. Well, you saw that in the Raiders game when they put Brandon Cooks on, um, what was that, uh, Sean? Um, Smith. Sean Smith, thank you. Um, yeah, and you saw what happened, you know, 99-yard touchdown or whatever that was. Um, but, yeah, so it's important then that Snead can play the extra position. He can line up in the slot. He can play wide as the as the uh as as the wide receiver um he can move all over the place and the same thing is true with thomas so what i'm saying then is if there's an opportunity for anybody it's an opportunity for coleman corey fuller uh ted ginn um you name the receiver you know there's a chance for these guys and I'm 99.9% sure the Saints are going to draft a receiver, too. Uh, so there'll be an opportunity for that guy as well uh, to to have an impact in the game. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand. I, I just – I guess what I was trying to say is, to me um, – I don't diminish anything that Thomas accomplished last year, but to me, mm-hmm. he's not. Uh, what's the word I'm I'm searching for? He's not yet that guy. He's not yet uh, that Brandon Cooks. He's not yet that um, Antonio Brown. I don't know. He uh, he really, he, you know, for for a rookie, he. He's been that he's been uh, he's been anointed in that role, uh, so on and so forth. But as far as on the field, the last time he was on the field, he was still that guy behind Brandon Cooks. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Okay. Um. Well, again, there is no number one receiver, but Thomas quickly took over as the number one receiver because he did everything so well. Um. He was a bigger um, version of – I don't want to say a bigger version than Colston because he wasn't as tall as Colston, but he was a quicker, more physical version of – especially the Colston we had towards the end. Um, he cocks out and make the catches. So he kind of – I mean, you heard it during training camp. The, the, the oohs and ahs and how Peyton and, and Breeze were like, you know, hey, this guy's going to be something special. So he did it on the field that justified all the balls thrown to him. Um, you know, Saints fans kind of get stuck in their head, and, and it's really reinforced by looking at Super Bowl 44 highlights. You know, the Breeze does so well spreading that ball over the field. Yes, he does. But you never had Devery Henderson or uh, Robert Meacham come anywhere close to leading the team in receptions. Uh, but yeah. you did have that with Colson. You did have that with Graham. So it was like, okay, Colson and Graham each got seven receptions in a game, uh, but and Moore got five, and Henderson got three, and Meacham got two. And then you had the running back sprinkled in there. So on paper, yeah, he spread it around. But you could see who Breeze was trusting first. 
to go yeah. to, especially on third down. And they need to get a drive going. Who do I go to to start this drive going? When I'm going to put that ball in the air, I'm going to go to Colson. I'm going to go to Graham. And now it's I'm going to Thomas. And I think that's what bothered Cooks the most because you could see that developing with Thomas, and it never really got to that point with Cooks. And I think Cooks wanted to get that kind of relationship with Breeze. And I'm not saying that Breeze and Cooks didn't have a relationship, but I think in the offensive system, it's going to make Sean call those plays that has Thomas as the primary receiver in those particular packages. You understand sure. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, so, I, I get what I you're think, saying. I think, I, I think that's what Cooks wanted. But Cooks wasn't that kind of receiver, especially in this offense, to be able to do that. You know, he just wasn't going to get his number called to run that um, shallow cross or to run that inside curl or that little arrow route or whatever where you match him up against the number one cornerback and it's just him on that number one cornerback and he's going to make a move to get open and fall in that little opening <clears throat> between the safety and the and the corner. You know, whereas Thomas will do that. Well, transversely, we talked about the wide receiver position. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been so much uh, going on, and especially today with the, the news about Butler. Mm-hmm. How do you see this cornerback uh, core, or excuse me, not just cornerbacks, but safeties as well? I mean, uh, obviously we're going to be without Jairus Burke moving forward, uh, but we're going to bring back Penny Vaccaro. Uh, and in the cornerbacks, we're going to – we're going to have Delvin bro, but is that going to be the Delvin bro of a year ago or yeah. two years ago? Right. Uh, right. How do you see that playing out? Um, I think the draft is going to have a lot to stay on this. I mean, even if we don't, even if we didn't make a move on Butler, I think we're looking at bringing in at least two corners. Now, if one of them happens to be Butler. So be it. But I think we're going to bring in, uh, a corner, at least one cornerback in the draft, regardless of what happens, because just like the running back position from 2010, where we're grabbing people off the street, so from that point on, Sean Payton always had to have four running backs. I think in the cornerback position, he's going to want to load up on corners. So, yes, you've got Delvin Bro. P.J. Williams has only played a game and a half so far for the Saints in two years. So you still don't know what you're going to get out of him. Um, you know, you were stuck with Ken Crawley and uh, Sterling Moore and B.W. Webb and so forth. I think you have to address the cornerback position with as many players as you can get because if you're relying, and we talked, we, we kind of mentioned some of the players coming back now for the offseason – uh, conditioning programs. If you're relying on injured players to come back and contribute at a high level to your team the next year, and I'm not talking about one or two injured players, I'm talking about a handful of them PJ Williams, Damian Swan, Kihaka, um, even Who to man? an extent, 
uh, yeah, Hootman, uh, Josh Hill, uh, even to extent the, the linebacker, uh, Ellerby. You know, if you're counting on these guys to contribute and turn your defense around, to me, that's a lot like Wiley Coyote counting on the product he's buying from Acme to actually work the way they're supposed Oh, he thinks they're going to work to get the Roadrunner. I mean, it's just not going to happen. That, that Batman suit is still going to put you into the side of the cliff. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the muscle pills are not going you know, to make you run fast that long. The, tr the metal trap door is not going to click when it's supposed to. You know, all that stuff. I mean, oh. yeah, I'm just revealing my childhood. But, yeah. I mean, it's just it, you you have to take into consideration that, hey, these guys probably aren't going to come back. They probably aren't going to be able to play at the level that you expect them to play or you drafted them to play. Um, so let's go ahead and bring in another corner and totally remake the secondary. Let's bring in another safety uh, and totally remake that se secondary. So you're not relying on Raphael Bush to be your starter. He's now your depth guy, like uh, Rowan Harper was last year. You know, you're not relying on P.J. Williams. You're not relying on um, – I'm drawing a blank uh, – Kyle Wilson. Uh, you're not relying on those guys to come back and really count on those guys to carry and fix your secondary. you got a whole bunch of new people, and, hey, P.J., you got to beat out – draft choice in the second round, or you got to beat out draft choice in the third round or in the first round. You know, hey, Damien, uh, not Damien, um, Delvin, bro, yeah, you had a great 2015, but you weren't too good in 2016. You know what? We just brought in Malcolm Butler. You got to beat him out for the number one corner spot. You know, that's, that's I think, is the best way to approach this stuff. You know, yeah, we drafted this guy. Uh, we drafted – the Pineapple Express back in 2015 to be our pass rusher. But you know what? We took an edge rusher here. Uh, uh, we took Riddick in the first round. They uh, have a job because Riddick may beat you out. And that that's right. what makes your team better. That's what makes the draft that, – that's why the draft is so important and why it's so important to have as many picks as possible – because you need – the worst thing that happens, you've got two really good players who have to fight for starting time. Um, the worst thing that happen is you have nothing. So the, the, you want to try and get in that best-case scenario as much as you can. Absolutely. And, and I think the, the, the more competition you can breed in training camp, the better the – quality of the team that you're going to field come come regular season well i mean part of the reason why i've been 79 for three straight years is because we uh we've had the fewest amount of draft picks and because and because we had the fewest amount of draft picks when we make mistakes they're huge mistakes it's like donald trump they're yeah. huge mistakes uh but we make huge mistakes on these draft picks and then it looks even worse and then we 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 have to overspend in free agency and that, and you, know, you have dead money built in, um, you know, so you're 79 because you don't have enough good players. 
because yeah. injuries ravage a position or and we don't have the depth to recover from an injury or we make really bad hires for coordinators like Rob Ryan was for us. Um, you know, it, it, it's such a it, it's such a combination of so many rotten things. And really, if it wasn't for Drew Brees and, and Sean Payton's offense, uh, we would be like the Cleveland Browns. Uh, sure. By the way, we get free agency and what we've done with uh, draft picks. Um, I mean, that's really what's keeping you at seven and uh, with seven wins is Sean Payton's offense and Drew Brees' execution of said offense. Absolutely, I, I can't couldn't agree with you more. Okay, Alan, you're, uh, for the next ten minutes or so, you're Sean Payton slash Mickey Loomis. <laughs> How do you fix it? You you have the number eleven pick. Who do you take? Um, let's say realistically, the players you're looking at are Ed Mc um, not Ed McCaffrey. No, you're not driving Christian McCaffrey. Ed McCaffrey's his dad. Uh, yes. Christian McCaffrey, um, um, Derek Barnett, and probably uh, Riddick. There left at eleven, um, and for the sake of this argument too, I'm going to say that no one wants to trade up, or if they do want to trade up, they're not offering anything worthwhile that made it worth trading up. Say somebody, say like the, I don't know, the Packers want to trade up, but they're not offering very much. They're offering a, a second and a fourth. You know, it's not enough to drop down all the way to 28 or whatever to, uh, you know, justify that kind of move. So I'm going to take a defensive end, a three-down defensive end, because even though we, we, we have Okafor, um, I, I want to have that front line. If you can rush four and drop seven in the coverage, that helps you out tremendously uh, because part of the reason why we had so much trouble, we were really good on third and short getting off the field on defense, but we were horrible on third and long. And the reason why we were so bad on third and long was that we had to blitz a lot more to generate pressure. And we still couldn't get enough pressure with the blitz. So when you start sending five, then six guys in on third and long to get to generate pressure, you are leaving openings in the second level. So now these guys are catching the ball at third. It's third and eight or third and nine. They're catching the ball five and six yards. And your cornerbacks and safeties are dropping way back because now they're running – the other team's running clear-out routes to drive your corners past the sticks – guy who's getting it behind, getting the ball right behind your blitzing linebackers has an opening to run five to seven yards. He's picking up that first down every time. That's why we look we were so bad on third and long. So my attitude is if I can rush four and keep those linebackers in coverage, I'm taking away, even though my linebackers aren't as good as what I would need them to be, I am still taking away that underneath stuff. Um, so now that five-yard pass 
becomes maybe a three yard pass and we're stopping you short of the sticks. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to take, uh, that's a long answer, but I'm taking Barnett at 11 uh, because I want to be able to rush forward and drop seven in the coverage on third and long. And I think Barnett, well, if he doesn't make the play, will demand enough attention that, you know, Rankins or Fairley or Cam Jordan can make the play because you can only need to rush four. Well, my answer for that is not nearly as involved because um, I, I don't I don't claim to be nearly as knowledgeable on, on the theory of of the game as you are. But uh, maybe somewhat simplistically looking at it, um, I believe I'm kind of old school. I believe that this game is won and lost on the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's on both sides of the ball as well. On the uh, on the offensive line, if you're not able to uh, impose your will on the other team, you're not going to do much. And uh, by the same token, on the defensive side of the ball, if you're not able to pressure the quarterback of the other team, it, it doesn't really matter how many great uh, defensive backs you have. They're not going to be able to maintain coverage long enough to protect uh, the deep ball. Mm-hmm. All that being said, I don't see how uh, this team could afford really uh, logistically speaking, uh, in my opinion, I, I don't see how they could go anywhere except uh, starting on that defensive line. It just, it's, I came up with the same, basically the same answer that you did. It, it's just a, a different way of looking at it, I suppose. No, I mean, and, and honestly, you know, I, I'm mentally preparing myself, and I think I mentioned this to you in the chat. I'm mentally preparing myself for a guy <laughs> like Christian McCaffrey to get picked with Barnett, Riddick, uh, and maybe a couple other. You know, Allen, maybe I doubt it. I mean, Allen or, uh, you know, Ruben Foster and all those players still on the board. And we go offense, and I can just, I can just picture Twitter exploding, you know, <laughs> people, because people are like, there's Sean Payton, worst defense in the NFL. And what does he pick? An offensive player. The offense is fine. We're always number one or number two. The offense is fine. And in my defense, uh, this mythical decision that I can prepare hearing, McCaffrey would not be a bad pick because if you think about the Reggie Bush, uh, Darren Sproles role that's been missing in this offense for now three years, three years this year, um, you know, you can see, Actually, four years this year. I'm sorry, it's 2013. We lost. Uh, we, we after 2013, we traded uh, Sproles away. You know, you you're missing that mismatch. That's what we were talking about earlier. You know, McCaffrey would generate a mismatch, and Atlanta's defense was only two positions higher than us. Uh, we gave up 378 yards a game. They gave up 371 yards a game. We averaged giving up 27 point something points a game and Atlanta this is this is just too perfect Atlanta averaged 25 points a game they've given up on defense but 
At least 25 points they gave up in one game. I know that. That's right. That's right. So, statistically, we weren't that far apart. Now, the difference, of course, in Atlanta, they had a lot more sacks because of Vic Beasley. Um, But the other thing was, and you think about both games that the Saints played Atlanta, what did Atlanta do? Atlanta jumped on us so early. You know, we were behind in the second game, what, 35 to 14 or 35 to 10 by halftime? like that. Yeah, and I think it was pretty close to that in the first game, too. Um, So that was the difference. They jumped on teams early. uh, And even the New England game, you know, the famous picture, you know, it's 28 to 3 with about 17 minutes left in the game. Uh, But, yeah, Atlanta jumped on New England early. They just couldn't finish the deal, you know. Uh, but again, so if you had a player like McCaffrey on offense, theoretically, you can protect your defense a little bit more because now you can start scoring more points. You can kind of dictate the control of the, of the game, the time of possession, all those things. Um, and your defense now has a little bit easier because it's going to be harder for a team to be balanced because in 2009, 2011, if you think about most of the games the Saints played, um, they were throwing it just to keep up with our video game offense. Um, A good offense can also help you win uh, and cover up for a bad defense. Our defense in 2009, I think, was ranked in the the mid-20s last year i know i'm sorry 2009 we were in the mid 20s i think 25th or 27th something like that yeah that that sounds about right but the the difference was in that year we had we led the league in giveaway takeaways and i think we scored nine defensive touchdowns i mean that's huge um again absolutely it's huge but it's just it's (laughs) it's it's all the little things in a game. And then you think about in 2016, this is the last one I'll make on this. But in 2016, the other thing was how many games did we lose because of special teams mistakes, not defensive mistakes. Um, and again, you know, it's all, all those hidden stats. So we can sit there and say, Oh God, our defense is terrible. Offense is even better it can cover up the weaknesses on defense and if your special teams are really good it can cover up some of your weaknesses on defense too so long story long answer made just a little bit longer if we were to take McCaffrey at 11 it's not the end of the world the player is still available you're not sacrificing or doomed to another 7-9 season if you didn't take a defensive player Eleven. So, just be forewarned. <laughs> you know, I, I, I told you off air you know, that the other day. I, I was like, "Well, I never thought about that." But thank you, Alan. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I mean, it, it may not happen well, at it all. Wouldn't, it wouldn't. It wouldn't just if you mentioned it. No. Nah. You know, I, I just know how Sean Payton – look, there's three things that are certain. 
in any Saints draft when Sean Payton is involved. Number one player in the first three rounds. We're going to do that. That's for sure. Number two, we're going to leave some position of need. Friggin' minds because, like, last year it was we didn't draft offensive a line. Yeah, we draft offensive line. We draft a guard. And, then, oh, my God, we lucky if he survives the first preseason game. Make our offensive so bad. And, you know, it'll be the same this year. Like, oh, my God, we actually did not draft an edge rusher in this draft. Or they thinking, we're not going to be able to blitz anybody. We're going to have to blitz every time. We're not going to be able to stop anybody. You know, it, I can tell you, something like that is going to happen. And number three, Sean Payton is going to – and Mickey Lewis is going to draft some player probably in the third or fourth round if they get back into the fourth. Oh, yeah, they will trade up. I'm sorry, they will trade up at some point. They might trade back into the fourth round, might trade into the fifth round. Who knows, but they will trade up. Um, but they're going to draft somebody who would have to Google to see who the hell this <laughs> last year. I can remember the 2007 draft. As we picked, I was going, who the hell is this guy? Usama Young. Who the hell is this? This is not in my draft book. <laughs> um, I remember you know, a, year, a year ago, I was, uh, I was on – with our, our friend uh, Byron Avery. He had me on, on draft uh, Saturday as a draft mm-hmm. analyst. And I'm sitting there, got my com- got their computer all fired up, and I'm sitting there clicking away. And uh, he Byron mentioned, uh, the Saints just picked. I said, wait a minute. Hang on. They, they didn't have a pick. He said, well, they traded up. And then we come back from uh, commercial break, and I'm like, And he said, he said, David on Yamada. And I'm sitting there going, uh, clicking, 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 uh, profile, profile, somebody. And I couldn't find it on the computer. I picked up my cell phone and I stalled long enough to, uh, to get a reasonable, uh, profile up on him, but, uh, never heard of him. I mean, all those who knew Jari Evans from Bloomberg University or um, um, Javon Bushrod from Townsend or uh, <laughs> Alan Alamar. And, you know, go down the list. All those who knew who these people were and had something written up on these guys, go ahead and pick my lottery tickets now because, you know, <laughs> I mean, Keem Hicks. Oh, some people may actually know who Keem Hicks was. Because he was at LSU in um, Japan, in Canada, um, but yeah, David Onyemata, all these people, and I was impressed. Mike Dettelier actually had a pro, uh, a piece written up on Onyemata in his book. I mean, he covers everybody. But it used to be the Saints always drafted guys from small schools, Division two schools, or whatever. And now it's just there's going to be somebody. It's not being any draft book outside of Mike Dettelier's draft book. You know, that's not going to be on Walter Football, not going to be an NFL 
not going to be at CBS Sportsline, any of those sites. You have to Google this yeah. guy to try and find out who the hell he is. And did the Saints reach for him at <laughs> in the fourth round? A quarterback might be some quarterback from se- some seven-on-seven school, and you know they they still oh film God. with video cameras. You know they don't even have digital. They might you're making you're, sixteen millimeter film. You're making that one vein right over here on the side of my forehead <laughs> jump. We want to invite you guys. Uh, we've we have dedicated ourselves to making this. Uh, this upcoming show uh, a week from tonight, uh, the two-hour pre-draft uh, draft-a-palooza, palooza extravaganza, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we'll let you guys name it, as a matter of fact. But we want you guys to tune in. Uh, we've, we've really worked hard on the format and uh, the people that are involved in it. And we're really looking forward to Alan and I both are going to uh, – I'm not going to say not going to be involved in the, the draft process, but we're going to moderate the whole thing. We brought other guys in that are uh, probably more more suited or more better suited to to make those calls uh, as far as the uh, the draft picks go, and we're really looking forward to uh, to putting on this show for you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, it's fun to play GM. It's fun to see how other teams view their particular draft boards. We all kind of have this attitude of, um, I don't know. Okay. This guy is ranked the best at his position. So he's got to be the guy that, you know, is going to go to the Jets, for example, because they need a guy in his position. And the Jets, somebody covers the Jets, say, you know, the Jets aren't interested in him because he just doesn't fit what we want to do. We're actually like this guy who's right there forth. Um, I heard this today on a podcast, you know, because uh, they were talking about LSU players and Tredavious White is ranked like 10th or 11th of the top 15 quarter cornerbacks like that's the way that guy shouldn't be rated that well that's just how they typically view that because um they we have kind of more of a homer uh not homer simpson but a homer (laughs) attitude about uh (laughs) about some certain players from certain colleges you know uh i'm watching elijah mcguire closely and uh mcguire On some players, uh, some teams' boards, because oh, he just goes to the University of Louisiana Lafayette. Um, homer. So yeah, we're being a homer. <laughs> uh, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I would, uh, I would be on board a lot more for uh, drafting McGuire than I would White. That's just me. You know, it would just well. Let me re- rephrase that. It would depend on uh, the timing of the, the draft pick. Uh, he's, I, I, he's at the end of, he's at the end of the draft. The other day uh, about should the Saints 
try to get uh, White either with 11 or with 13. And I, I told him absolutely not. I don't see it happening. I don't look at White as being talented enough to be in the first round uh, scenario. I really don't. Yeah. Jamal Adams, absolutely. Tredavious White, not quite. Uh, there, there's well, just too many guys like uh, like Hooker uh, and mm-hmm. uh, Lattimore. Uh, mm-hmm. Those those guys are just better. Uh, you know, if it comes down to it, and everyone in front of Tredavious White is taken, maybe so. But I, I don't see Tredavious White as being that first round talent. If that makes any sense. Right. 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 I found your name. I found my name. I was looking for this. Um, top quarterback prospect from the University of Montana, uh, Brady Christopherson, a foot seven passer. Oh God, he's just like he's probably like uh, Osweiler. Okay, so let's see if the Saints draft him in the fourth round. We'll know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, That's a small it, it, school prospect. It couldn't turn out any worse than Garrett Grayson, I, I wouldn't assume. You know, and here, and that was my thing. I was really upset about Garrett Grayson at the time, not just because he was a quarterback, but, you know, I kind of looked at him um, from the standpoint of, okay, if we got to take a quarterback, let's look at the quarterbacks ahead. And I thought that class was pretty weak anyway. Outside of the top two, uh, I thought it was a pretty average class, and I honestly wasn't that impressed with either. Um, um, now I just forgot both their names: the Tampa Bay quarterback and the Tennessee quarterback. Um, Mariota and Mariota and, and yeah, Winston. I, I didn't think either of them were good. As, I've been proven wrong on that. I'll take the you know, I will say that I was proven wrong on those things, but. Here's the thing: when you look at Grayson, I looked at his mechanics, and I and I watched some of the film on him. I thought he carried the ball too low. I thought he had a hitch in his delivery because of that. I thought it affected his accuracy. Um, he threw a nice deep ball, but he was not too good in the intermediate throws. And all these things are showing up now. Now that he's in the NFL, he has not improved on these these. Uh, these weaknesses. And I think that's why, um, you know, he's kind of, he's on a futures contract with the Saints, but he's not really viewed as a future quarterback for the Saints because uh, he has not improved on his mechanics. And that's what Sean Payton is really, I think, disappointed when when he says he's disappointed about uh, Grayson's development. I think that's the number one thing he looks at. His mechanics are still sloppy. You're not improving physically. I don't see Grayson if he does get out of training camp. I don't see it at any higher level than the the training. I mean the. Uh, well, he's on a practice squad last practice. year, so that tells you how they view him. Yeah, that's how they view him. He's a practice squad kid. Um, and to me, if they if they draft a quarterback, which I have no idea if they will or not, and I mean the quarterback I like best if they draft anybody, but they would have to get back in the fourth round for him is uh, Nathan Peterson. Because I think Absolutely. he, I think he's got some of the best physical characteristics uh, to fit this offense. Okay, not saying he's the best quarterback out there. I 
just think he is the best player to fit this kind of offense. Um, but that being said, he may never be anything more than a glorified backup. He may never develop into a legitimate NFL starter. So, but if I were to take one and see if I could do something with him, it would be that one. Uh, I know a lot of people like Chad Kelly. Um, and I know how you feel about Chad Kelly. And my only – the only way I would take Chad Kelly is an undrafted free agent, but I think Buffalo's got their eyes dead set on him because of the the heritage. They want another yeah. Kelly quarterback. Um, so, I mean, he's – I see – Honestly – I look at Chad Kelly as Johnny Manziel 2.0. Well, and I look at him as <clears throat> even if he – when I read he has an ADD and you think about this offense and you think about the verbiage of this offense, uh, you cannot have ADD and, and comprehend this offense because there's just way, way, way too much verbiage to remember. Um, sure. And Drew just spits it out like it's nothing. And you have to think like uh, Peyton does. And that, that, I just don't see that. You know, intellectually, I just don't see good match in this. He has all the physical tools, but he's just not – mentally, he's not there. Uh, and that's what I like about Peterson. I think Peterson mentally is there. Physically, he may not have the tools to be – he's got the game. That's just – my opinion on the quarterbacks. We can more about that as, as tomorrow, you know, next Tuesday, and we start looking at at, at different players and stuff. But, but um, it's my problem with any quarterback um, that I'm sorry, I just reached over and blocked the camera. Uh, I, that any quarterback coming in <laughs> draft, uh, they don't. They college football is so geared on winning now; they simply do not spend enough time developing quarterbacks anymore. Um, they put athletes at quarterback rather than, um, I don't know, I don't want to say smart kids because that's not true. I mean, the, the, the athletes are just as intelligent. But I don't think they work on the mental aspects of the game to learn how to make your reads, your well, progress, and so forth that – the learning curve when you come to the NFL is too great uh, for most quarterbacks coming out of college football. Well, it's a completely different game these days going from the college level to the pro level. And as you alluded to, there's more, uh, and I hate to put it this way because it, it sounds kind of uh, in a way, there's more money to be made at the college level by quarterbacks playing the college game than it is for them to develop a player into the next uh, number one draft pick. They, The college programs benefit so much more from developing a player that plays well within the confines of their system than it would be to develop a player that plays well within the confines of a pro system if that makes you make any one, sense you make you make one read and if you're a good athlete who can run one read tuck it in and go and yeah. uh they'll split the field in half for you. Is they'll, put example they'll, put 
Yeah, they'll put everything on one. Yeah, there's a good example. Jalen uh, Hurts right there in, uh, in, in Alabama, and that's a pro-style offense. But he makes it simple. You've got one read, this, and we're only going to give you this half of the field to look at when you make your read, or this half of the field. Well, you won't have to look at the entire field um, and, and make your progressions. Like, okay, my primary option is here. I've got a back coming out here. Receiver coming out over here. One, two, three. That's my progression that I know I have to do. Um, they don't make them do that. It's one, maybe two, and if I'm looking to run at three, I'm not even looking on the side of the field, okay? And that's what they do. That They all do it. And, um, and see – And the I, offense I, is designed that way. Sure. I, I've gone on record as saying that I believe the most – Maybe the most experienced, uh, and if you if you prefer to look at it that way, at this level, the most talented quarterback in this draft class could very well be Deshaun Watson. Uh, and mm -hmm. that's my, that's my evaluation. But if you're talking about the the prospect of him transitioning to the next level, you're looking at a maybe a three to five year project player. And this is the guy that I I look I see and I rate as the best quarterback prospect coming out of this we, class. We're, we're way over time now, but I'm just going to say this real quick. Why is Trubisky rated the number one quarterback quarterback in this draft? Because he comes from the closest that you're going to get to a pro style offense. We multiple reads versus Deshaun Watson, who was a Heisman Trophy candidate, and um, you know, was played for the national championship team, but he only had to make one read in the offense only ran. And teams see that now. So they're looking at somebody else going, oh, you know what? Like, look, look at Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott seemed to do well going to the perfect scenario with the Cowboys. Maybe we can get something out of this guy because he actually can play the quarterback position more than just being an athlete. Um, Chad Kelly, if his, um, if he didn't have all the baggage from the off season, uh, off the field stuff, I mean, uh, fighting yeah. coaches and knee injuries and stuff like that, he would be one of the top prospects in this draft because he played a pro style offense, you know, um, but the baggage and the knee injury kicking down to the bottom of the draft and borderline free agent. So, I mean, that's that's the problem you've got in the NFL. I mean, it, well, the NFL, but college football, the spread offense makes it so you're not developing good quarterbacks, but you're winning a lot of games because you've got a lot of good athletes who are running that offense for you. So it's not about developing guys ready to play the next level. It's just about winning now and getting that getting in a playoff system now in college football. You're not even worried about the NFL anymore. Alan, real quickly, I, I realize we're over. We have a one question mm -hmm. from the uh, the live chat that we have going on. Mm -hmm. It says, um, I'm just catching the show, but do you all see us giving up the 32nd pick for Butler? I, I'm going to uh, kind of rephrase that. Uh, in your educated uh, 
what do you see us giving up legitimately to make uh, Malcolm Butler a, a player for the New Orleans Saints? I think really second pick. I think the Saints would like to give up the second round pick for him. But if you give up the 32nd pick, you got to look at it this way as far as the math point value of a, uh, of, of a draft. You gave up, essentially you swapped Cooks for Butler, okay? Goes back to New England. It was New England's pick originally. And you traded from the fourth round into the third round. So that's the way you would have to look at it if the Saints get up the 32nd pick, which I think is what they pretty much agreed with, agreed to. Okay. Uh, me, I, I, 11, absolutely not. I, uh, as I, real, real quickly, because uh, we're really up against it. I say absolutely not. Uh, no way whatsoever. Uh, we're talking about a career of an undrafted free agent. I wouldn't care if he was the most valuable player of Super Bowl. Uh, you, not not a number eleven pick. I, I'm sorry, that's just too rich for my blood. Begrudgingly, maybe. I I would start the thing in the second round. Of course, in all likelihood, considering who your trade partner is that you're you're negotiating with, that being the New England Patriots, it's it's more than likely going to have to be that number thirty two pick. Yeah, I think they want to be back in that first round because right now the Patriots aren't picking at all until the third. I don't think they have a second-round pick. Uh, I think it's part of the punishment from, uh, what you call it, from uh, deflate gate. I'm not sure anymore. I don't follow them that closely, but I don't think they have a second-round pick. So, yeah, they weren't picking until the third. So they're going to want that that 30-second pick at least. Um and realistically, if you look at your 32nd pick overall over the past 10 years of the draft, um, you really haven't seen a lot of great players come from that 32nd pick. Um, for whatever reason, you get better players that show up 34, 35, 36 in the 40s than you have at 32. I don't know why. It just, just falls away. Drew Brees was the 32nd pick, but we only had uh, 30 teams back then. <laughs> you know, uh, well, well, I mean, for Saints fans, look at it this way: um, about uh, giving up a number thirty-two pick for a guy that's going to be your starter on day one. It's not exactly a losing. Problem. Exactly. No, and you still have a second-round pick if uh, about ten picks later. Um, yeah, you know, if you get defensive end in that first pick, yeah, defensive end in that first pick, Butler at thirty-two. And then now you can say a safety on the corner 30, 42. You know, that's, that's really, you did really well. Backer or whatever. You, you did really well on that first all day. Um, you addressed a lot of your biggest needs. Um, anyway, we went way over, but don't worry. Next week will be two hours. So, you know, we're going to go two and a half hours. So pack a lunch. <laughs> we're going to be here for a while. Um, that's right. Uh, yeah, but uh, I hope you enjoyed all of our endless rambling, uh, my Wally Coyote uh, uh, analysis here. 
And my, <laughs> uh, when when you made the Wiley Coyote reference, my man Jerry, uh, he commented beep beep. So there we go. There we go. Hey, man, I grew up watching a lot of Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show, especially on Saturday morning. Um, and, you know, Chuck Jones has got to be one of my favorite animators because of that. So, uh, yeah, and well, Acme was the I, ultimate I'm, Amazon account. i tell you what, they sold everything. I, I'm sitting here looking at a tattoo on my, uh, my left calf of the Tasmanian. <laughs> all right uh i think we uh we're pretty much out of time now thank you guys for for sticking with us all this time and we look forward to seeing you next week when we actually go through a mock draft so holy miss then eight o'clock on, on another episode of under the dome good night everybody <laughs>